0: what if you could make the world a little bit better every time you used your cell phone? Well, luckily you can with Credo Mobile, the only progressive phone company that gives millions of dollars every year to nonprofits like Planned Parenthood and the ACLU. They've even been Planned Parenthood's largest corporate donor for years, and at a time like this, those donations are needed more than ever. Plus, you're not paying for nothing, their coverage is dependable, and you get to keep your existing number when you switch over. It's a better world for all of us, and a better way to stay connected to it. So what are you waiting for? Go to credomobile.com/slash best of the left or call 800 654 3182 to get the special offer two smartphones for free plus 50% off unlimited talk and text. That's credomobile.com slash best of left. And now, welcome to the award-winning Best of the Left podcast with clips today from Dan Savage, On the Media, The David Pakman Show, propaganda from Bitch Media, The Young Turks, and Making Contact.
1: According to a new study from the Guttmacher Institute... Abortion is at its lowest levels since the Supreme Court found that women were citizens, that they owned their own bodies, and that the Constitution protected a woman's right to make her own reproductive choices, including the right to terminate a pregnancy, which the Supreme Court found way, way back in 73, 1973. Abortion rates right now as low as they were in 1973. And it's not abstinence education, which numerous studies and the Palin family have shown to be a failure, Kids who've had abstinence-only sex ed are actually likelier to get pregnant and likelier to contract an STI than kids who've had comprehensive sex education. Because, as it turns out, telling kids that condoms don't work and they shouldn't bother makes them less likely to use condoms when they inevitably decide to have sex. No one could have predicted. And it's not restrictions on access to abortion rammed through state legislatures by Republican majorities after 2010 and 2012. This data comes from way, way back in 2011, the most recent year for which we have it, this data set. And it shows there were fewer than 17 abortions for every 1,000 women in 2011, again, the lowest rate since 1973. Credit goes to increased access to contraceptives, particularly newer, safer, longer-lasting IUDs, intrauterine devices, that women have been opting for in ever-growing numbers. IUDs have much lower failure rates than the pill and condoms because, unlike the pill, you can't forget to take your IUD one morning. And unlike condoms, your IUD can't break. And it also can't be removed by some sneaky rando asshole halfway through sex. So, yay, abortion rates way, way, way down, or they were in 2011. And you know what? They're probably even lower now thanks to the ACA, the Affordable Care Act, Obamacare, which covers contraception. There's a contraceptive mandate in Obamacare. Here's a fun fact. Back in the bad old pre-ACA days, most health insurance plans covered Viagra, but very few covered contraception. So it was free boners for old guys and risk and responsibility and expense for contraception for the ladies. Obamacare changed that, making contraception more widely available, universally available to people with health insurance, including highly effective IUDs. Under Obamacare, Women were covered, and trans men too, for barrier methods, sponges and diaphragms, hormonal methods, IUDs, emergency contraception, sterilization procedures, all covered. And Obamacare wasn't fully enforced in 2011. So when we get the data from 2016, the abortion rate is probably going to be even lower, below pre-Roe v. Wade levels. And a reasonable person from Mars, someone who didn't know what really obsesses our anti-choice conservatives on this planet, might conclude that this would delight opponents of abortion, that they would be the biggest fans and supporters of Obamacare because it is driving down the abortion rate. But no, conservatives, religious conservatives, anti-choice activists, they hate the ACA. They hate Obamacare. They want to see it repealed. They don't want women to have access to IUDs at no cost. The kind of birth control method that's driving down the abortion rate because they hate sex way more than they love babies. Sadly, all political conversations, all sex conversations, all conversations right now lead back to Donald Trump. I'm sure you all saw this week the photograph of Donald Trump reinstating the Reagan era gag rule on NGOs preventing any U.S. funds from going to NGOs that – provide for abortion care services, even with non-U.S. dollars. And he signed that back into effect, surrounded by dour, long-faced men. As many folks on Twitter pointed out, we have never seen, and we will never see, a female president surrounded by female advisors and enablers, signing some piece of legislation into law that restricts what men can do with their dicks. Also this week, Vox reports that, IUD prescriptions and procedures jumped 19% between October and December because women who have healthcare right now may not have it for long thanks to Donald J. Trump and the Republicans running the Congress are rushing to their doctors to get this highly effective method of birth control while they still can. So let's say-
2: Something for you?
3: Yes, thank you, birth control.
4: Now I'm married to Dave and not to just some creep.
2: Okay. Thank
4: you, birth control. I had my first kid when I was ready to take the leap.
1: Yes, thank you, birth control. We traveled all over the world from Seoul to
5: Napoli. Get it, girl. Thank you, birth control. As we heard earlier, one of the president's first actions this week was to sign an executive order known as the Mexico City Policy. The order essentially cuts American aid money to international operations that discuss abortion as a family planning option. That's why opponents call it the global gag rule. Reactions were predictable.
3: It is the uh, targeting of the most vulnerable women in the whole world with a policy that is going to mean women will die because of this action.
6: It's an issue very important to the pro-life community in helping to stop taxpayer dollars to be involved in the abortion industry abroad.
3: But this
5: is not a particularly Trumpian development. In the 40-plus years war over reproductive rights, foreign aid has long been a battlefield, in which at various times both sides have experienced victory and defeat. And the Mexico City policy... It ain't new.
7: It's been kicking around, actually, as long as I've been alive, since 1984.
5: Jennifer Donnelly is a historian who researches the anti-abortion movement.
7: It's an executive action, so it's an easy promise politicians on either side of the debate can make. So Democratic presidential hopefuls in their campaigns will say, on day one or the first week in office, I will reinstate funding for organizations that talk about abortion in their counseling Republican candidates can also make that promise and then cut it in the first week of office.
5: The first executive order came from Reagan. When the Democrats came to power, Clinton toggled it the other way, and then George W. Bush toggled it back, and Obama the other way, and now Trump. A kind of ongoing proxy war wherein the proxies are women abroad.
7: So here's the interesting thing about the Mexico City policy. Of course, it has a drastic impact on women's lives abroad. But the more complicated story is that the policy itself came out of divisions within the anti-abortion movement that go back to the 1970s. A lot of people tend to think of the anti-abortion movement as this homogenous movement closely associated with the Christian right today. But if you go back to the 1970s, the anti-abortion movement itself is pretty diverse and dynamic. Atheists, agnostics, evangelicals, fundamentalist Christians, Mormons, Muslims, Orthodox Jews, various denominations of Protestant faiths, and Roman Catholics all trying to get along to push an anti-abortion agenda. They don't always get along. There's a radical edge that believed a zygote, that's a fertilized egg that's then split, is a person from that moment, and they held a hard line that the law should protect them and that abortion was murder with no exceptions. Not everybody actually agrees with that. You know, they're not so sure if they want birth control to be limited that much. So why did funding become so symbolic? Because no matter what approach they have to what's the best way of limiting abortion— Everybody could agree, let's get rid of funding, absolutely. If the anti-abortion movement's fracturing on other issues, it can always unite by going after funding. And then on top of that, the rhetoric around this strengthens alliances with, especially in the 1970s, Republican politicians. Funding campaigns drew on a rhetoric that painted the government as bad, right? So if the government's funding abortion and it might be coercing women into those abortions, we need to stop the government. And then They also have this humanitarian bent that they're standing up for the least desirable fetuses, because funding typically would go to women on Medicaid, you know, the marginalized communities. Republican politicians know that going after abortion legislatively can cause divisions in the movement that are not necessarily the best for those Republican politicians when it comes to election time. But if you go after funding, they'll all hold together. Now,
5: you mentioned Republican politicians. We probably have the notion that this is and has always been a major obsession of the GOP and a rallying point, but not necessarily so. It was after Roe v. Wade, right, that Jesse Helms, the late senator from North Carolina, introduced the Helms Amendment that really opened up abortion to national debate and clarify the division between parties. Tell me about the Helms Amendment.
7: One of the first things he does to make his mark is to propose a rider on a budget at the last minute, so it flies under the radar, that the United States will not fund any abortions through its foreign aid. So since 1974, when it goes into enforcement, the United States government has not spent any money funding the procedure of abortions. As they gain victories, they're looking more and more for keeping the funding battle so they can keep together. So they gain the victory of the Hyde Amendment in 1976, which takes out abortion funding domestically in the United States. They begin the battle to the states down to county levels. And even to some extent today, the funding battles are still going and they still unite the movement and keep Republicans who are willing to do that battle with them on funding keeps that as a close alliance.
5: Since you're a historian, I guess I should ask you about the domestic pressure President Reagan was under at the time, having named Sandra Day O'Connor to the Supreme Court, a woman who supported uh, women's right to reproductive self determination.
7: Yes, and Reagan got a tremendous amount of flack from the anti-abortion movement, and the Christian right, to the point that They actually held a huge rally against Reagan when the Sandra Day O'Connor appointment came through. The anti-abortion movement as well, in 1980, the expectation is that they would get major federal legislation through that would curb abortion access. And the anti-abortion movement itself fractured around that legislation. And therefore, by 84, nothing had really been passed at the federal level. So there was a lot of dissatisfaction, both at Ronald Reagan himself and then within the movement um, on the eve of the Mexico City policy.
5: Was the Mexico City rule, when it first appeared in 1984, just an attempt to assuage that uh, cohort?
7: If you want to be cynical, that would be a major component of it. But I don't want to discount the fact that there were people in the Reagan administration who were drafting that, who genuinely held an anti-abortion position and were trying to move to protect fetal life. But if you look at the politics in the actual election, definitely the Mexico City policy appeases members of the Christian right and major organizations come out celebrating it. So the National Right to Life Committee, which is one of the nation's largest anti-abortion organizations, says it's very pleased and it's proving once again that Ronald Reagan is the pro-life president. And
5: now 33 years later comes Donald Trump, whose political history, is such as it was, was as a, a supporter for reproductive rights. He's now fancied himself a so-called pro-lifer. Is there more significance to this particular toggle of the Mexico City? order than in previous changes of party in the White House?
7: I will say the one difference in this toggle back and forth is the fact that you had the Women's March on Washington last weekend, millions taking to the street for various reasons, but certainly as one of the platforms of that march, they supported reproductive rights. I do think that for the first time, the strong presence of a pro-choice protest make this toggle look slightly different. Because the largest anti-abortion protest each year usually happens the same week the policy is announced. Um, and that's the National Right to Life March, which has been going on since 1974.
5: I don't want to suggest that in any way that these are trivial matters at play here. Obviously, they're not. But the toggle has become so predictable, so perfunctory. Does it have the meaning it had back in 1984? Or is it just sort of a trope of domestic politics, the kind of thing that gets ridiculed on Veep?
7: And the shame of that is, if you go abroad and look at it from their point of views, this is a policy that's really impacting women's lives abroad and impacting these organizations. Every four to eight years, they're having to completely reorganize as a result of this executive action. So if I have a feeling to potentially roll my eyes, that's what comes into mind and potentially stops it.
0: I already know you care a lot about where your news and information comes from. That's why you're here. We all need to be on constant lookout for fake news and alternative facts these days and to know where our news is coming from. Well, Texture, the premier magazine subscription app, features some of the most trustworthy, credible publications in the world, such as Time Magazine, The New Yorker, Vanity Fair, The Atlantic, and dozens of others. And Texture gives you access not just to your favorite magazines, but also to the latest in investigative journalism, U.S. politics. And domestic and international news. And the Texture app has gone beyond delivering just the magazine itself. They've made it easy to find and enjoy the articles you want to read. Texture is searchable, you can mark what you like, check out back issues, view bonus video content, and they even curate articles and magazines just for you or whoever you're giving Texture to this year. Why subscribe to just a couple of magazines when you can have all of your favorites on your smartphone or tablet? All the time for way less. Texture is normally $9.99 a month, and you get over 200 magazines for that. But if you sign up right now at texture.com slash best, you get a 14-day free trial. Again, that's texture.com slash best.
8: I want to briefly talk about the Donald Trump anti-abortion order. Uh, You might remember that two days after the Women's March, Donald Trump signed this executive order which banned U.S. foreign aid to any health organization that provides or even discusses abortions with women. As usual, it's mostly optics because health organizations were already not allowed to use federal money to fund abortions. But now organizations that receive federal funding aren't even allowed to provide abortions that are funded by other sources not exactly small government conservatism, is it? And to be super clear here, even if Donald Trump hadn't signed this anti-abortion order, federal tax dollars still wouldn't have gone to fund abortions. Either way, this is just a way for Trump to help restrict women's access to abortions in the general sense. Ronald Reagan originally signed this order. Bill Clinton repealed it. George W. Bush then reenacted it. Barack Obama then repealed it. It's an a epic political pendulum that that's going on here. And many people are calling it the global gag rule because it prevents many organizations from even counseling women about abortion procedures or even referring women to someone else about them. They are not allowed to even discuss the procedure. And what many people in the U S don't get, particularly the people that are cheerleading this is that international health organizations are more reliant on monetary aid from the U S than any other country. And this is going to result in a number of organizations losing their funding. And this is Trump's far right anti-abortion ideology having consequences in the real world. Some of us believe that Trump is not really anti-abortion right now. He's been pro-choice his entire life. Others believe like Sarah Palin stated on the campaign trail that Trump has seen the light and he truly is anti-abortion now. Really doesn't matter, Pat, because people are being negatively affected by this. Whatever Trump believes, he signed this, and that has an impact. No, and this also comes on the day where Donald Trump's going to announce his appointee to the Supreme Court. Yeah, and I think there's a litmus test there that they have to be in oh, favor yeah. of overturning Roe versus Wade. Planned Parenthood of Ghana lost hundreds of thousands in funding and had to cut forty-four percent of their nursing staff, and this affected thirteen hundred communities in Ghana as a result of this uh, regulation being active during the Bush administration, just an example of how this has real world impact. But here's the real kicker. The order, which has been tried and tested for decades, does not decrease abortions. Check out this study from Stanford University, which actually points out that these are not regulations that effectively reduce the number of abortions that are happening. You you have either Uh, less safe abortions take place. You have the so-called back alley abortion. You have abortions continued by these organizations just without, uh, uh, having to refuse or distance themselves from aid from the United States. But this is yet another reason why we should be opposed to these types of regulations because they don't reduce the number of abortions, sex education, as well as access to contraception, reduce the number of abortions. Right wingers are predominantly opposed to those ideas. Very very sad and and this is really going to hurt real people. It's not just politics and Trump making a show of signing and holding up executive orders.
4: abortion rights in the United States hang in a more precarious balance than they ever have in the last 40 years. Over the past decade, right-wing legislatures in states from Maine to Arizona have passed laws that make getting an abortion more expensive and more complicated. They've passed laws whose sole goal is to shame people who get abortions, like by making them get ultrasounds of the fetus. And now we have a vice president who says Roe v. Wade, the groundbreaking 1973 Supreme Court decision that made abortion a right nationwide, the one that I grew up reading about in my school books as some sort of past era that's all resolved now, our vice president says that decision should be consigned to the, quote, ash heap of history. A year ago, when he was governor of Indiana and not occupying a wing of the White House, Mike Pence signed into law sweeping restrictions on abortion access in the state, including a provision they required aborted fetuses to be buried or cremated, like some sort of horrible mini funeral. Ugh. For his part, Donald Trump seems mm, hazy on what criminalizing abortion actually means. He says over and over that abortion should be banned, but when someone like Chris Matthews asks him directly what that means for US law, he gives rather incoherent answers. Uh, look.
9: Uh, This is not something you can dodge. If you say abortion is a crime or abortion is murder, you have to deal with it under the law. Should abortion be punished? Well, people in certain parts of the Republican Party and conservative Republicans would say, yes, they should be punished. How about you? Uh, I would say that it's a very serious problem. And it's a problem that we have to decide on. Uh, is It's very hard. But I you're mean, for banning you say, Well, wait, are you going to say put them in jail? Are you, is that Well, the no, what I'm asking you, about? because
1: you say you want to ban it. What's I, that mean? I, would,
9: I am against, I am pro-life, yes. What is ban? How do you ban abortion? How do you actually do it? Well, you know, you'll go back to a, a position like they had, where people will perhaps go to illegal places. Yeah. But you have to ban it.
4: Make no mistake banning abortion will mean sending people to jail when they get abortions or when they perform them. That's not like a gray area that should be hard for the president to understand. This all brings up the question, do Republicans know what will happen if abortion is once again made illegal? Do they actually know what that means? Many people know all too well. What's the punishment if you, if you do get an abortion, if you're somebody that goes to the hospital, let's say, and a doctor thinks you've had an abortion? What's the punishment for that? Like, how long can you go to jail for?
2: If you've never had a problem with the police or the law, uh, it can get up to three or five years of prison.
4: That's Estefania Sepulveda, a Chilean journalist.
2: Hi, my name is Estefania Sepulveda, and I work as a journalist for El Mostador, a Chilean news website.
4: I spent a month in Chile this winter and wound up talking to many feminists there about abortion rights. Chile is a country that's a lot like the United States in some ways. Young people there know more about House of Cards than I do. But abortion is entirely illegal. This is the kind of country that Mike Pence and other Republicans want to create. A country where getting an abortion will land you in prison. Chile is far from alone. While there are only six countries in the world that ban abortion with no exceptions, like Chile does, there are many, many countries where it's very hard to obtain a legal abortion. According to abortion access group Women on Web, about 25 percent of the world's population lives in countries with super restrictive abortion laws from Ireland to Egypt. But it's especially interesting to focus on Chile right now because the country is on the cusp of change. After 30 years of trying, reproductive rights advocates are finally on the verge of passing a law that would legalize abortion in some cases. For this episode, we're taking a look at the reality in this one country, Chile. What happens in a country where abortion is criminalized? Who bears the punishment? How does it affect people's lives? Donald Trump seems willfully ignorant about the details of what banning abortion will mean. So let's talk about it. been performing abortions for all of human history. Making abortion illegal doesn't stop it. As Chile's experience shows, when abortion is illegal, one thing determines whether or not you can safely get the procedure. Money. Does it feel like the law is different if you're rich or if you're poor? Yes, 100 percent. More than maybe anyone else. Carolina Vera Burgos knows the flip side of Chile's abortion laws, the reality rather than what's officially in the books. She's the head of Línea Aborto Libre, a free hotline that provides information about abortion.
6: For us, it's important to talk about abortion
4: and to give information to
6: women who need to interrupt a pregnancy within 12 weeks of gestation. That's our job, to give information to women who want to get abortions. It's your body. It's your choice. It shouldn't be anyone
4: else's decision, especially a man's. The hotline volunteers walk a fine line. It's not illegal to talk about abortion methods and how they work. It is illegal to tell someone where they can actually get one. From all the phone calls she receives, it's obvious to Carolina how the system works in a country where abortion is illegal.
2: Yeah,
4: obviously.
6: The poor woman die and the rich woman go on vacations to Europe or Uruguay or wherever place they have contact with family or a friend or a friend of a friend of a friend and
4: they can get an abortion and pass it off as vacation. The poor women die, the rich women go on vacation. It doesn't get any more straightforward than that. So leaving the country to get abortions abroad is one reality when abortion is illegal. Another option, if you have money, is to go to a private clinic that secretly performs them. Journalist Estefania Sapoldovella explains how this works.
2: Because there are clinics and and hospitals that are private that um, will not tell you publicly that that they will uh, uh, perform abortions. But they just put it under other names, such as having an appendix problem or a spontaneous abortion.
4: Getting an abortion in a private clinic is extremely expensive. And more than that, you need to know someone. They don't advertise or use code words. So usually the doctor is an upper class friend of the family, says Estefania. That's exactly what Carolina's seen, too. It's a class issue. Obviously,
6: it's a class issue. Here in Chile, there are clinics where you can go, and for 2 million pesos, you can get an abortion, and they'll check you in under whatever name you want and say you had appendicitis. Rich women get abortions without the risk of death. Poor women also get abortions, but they risk death to do it.
4: The existence of these private clinics is an open secret, one that people in the government hate to admit. Last year, Chile's health minister, Elia Molina, called out the double standard in the abortion law in an interview. In support of legalizing abortion in some cases, she said, quote, In all upper class clinics, many conservative families have had their daughters abort. People with money do not need laws because they have the resources. People went ballistic about that statement. She was forced to resign.
2: So it's something that we all know, but it's something that no one wants to, to take care of.
4: For people who can't afford to leave the country on, quote, vacation and who can't afford to secretly get an abortion at a private clinic, there's a scarier and more dangerous option. A DIY abortion. I guess in my mind, I thought of clandestine abortions as happening like they do in historical documentaries or in fictional movies, like with a literal coat hanger or under the scalpel of a dirty knife wielded by someone like Toby Maguire in Cider House Rules. That does happen. But these are modern times, says Carolina. Almost everyone who calls Línea Aborto Libre has one question. Where can I get the pills? The pills are misoprostol, a medication that was invented to treat stomach ulcers, but that, it turns out, also induces abortion. When taken correctly, it's a relatively safe way to get an abortion when you have no other options. But the risks are real in Chile because the only way to buy it is on the black market. Whenever we're talking to
6: the women, we try to be as delicate and loving as possible, because obviously they're going through a
4: really bad time. Hotline volunteers will send women to resources, like the website for international abortion rights group Women on Waves, that explain how the pills work, how to identify them, and what side effects they can expect. But they don't tell women where to buy the pills. Nowhere is 100% safe in Chile.
6: In Chile, I can't trust anyone. Many women turn to the illegal market, and therefore, for really high prices. They sell pills that are fake.
2: In
4: other places, the wholesale cost of misoprostol is about $2 a dose. But Carolina says that women tell her all the time in Chile that it costs about $120 to $150 a dose. That's a week's income if you're working for minimum wage in the country. A big expense. According to the World Health Organization, misoprostol is about 80% effective at inducing abortions before 12 weeks. But there can be complications, and you have to take a series of pills at the right time. Even if everything goes perfectly, getting an abortion this way without the help of any doctor can be scary. You start bleeding, and some of the side effects are nausea and vomiting. And if something does go wrong, in Chile, going to the hospital can mean going to jail.
2: Because if you... Ran across a doctor who's a Catholic, uh, they are going to tell the, po- the police that you have broken the law. And that's another thing that we have to think. Like, first of all, I don't want to have this baby. And second of all, if I try not to have this baby, then I'm going to go to prison. So that's a lot of pressure to put into just one woman.
4: This has led to a whole movement in Chile called Con Amigas y en la Casa, with friends and at home. It's a feminist network of women who will go to the home of someone who's inducing an abortion and just sit with them, supporting them through the process and keeping an eye out for any potentially dangerous side effects. Estefania interviewed someone who had accompanied their friend through an in-home abortion. She told me what the experience was like.
2: It's really hard to put into words because it's like having the most intimate experience with a friend, having something that is so secret and so pure and that would help out a friend with such... Uh, sacrifices that you're uh, in facing. Um, so she describes it as an experience that made her friendship stronger.
4: So that's the reality when abortion is illegal. Friends come together to support each other. People step up in really brave and compassionate ways to care for and educate others. But class divisions draw a line that can mean life or death.
0: If you've ever hired a new employee, then you know the hassle it can turn into when you have to post your job listing to over 100 job sites. But it doesn't have to be that way. With ZipRecruiter, you can post your job opening to all of those sites plus social media networks with a single click to find candidates in any city or industry nationwide. Just post once and watch your qualified candidates roll in to ZipRecruiter's easy-to-use interface, no juggling emails or calls to your office. Plus, if you're feeling proactive, they already have 9 million Resumes you can search through in their database. To make it even easier, you can add multiple people to your account, so it's even more efficient for your team to find the best hire together. And if you have any questions about writing your post or anything else, ZipRecruiter's friendly and human support staff is ready to help. So find out today why ZipRecruiter has been used by over 1 million businesses. And right now, my listeners can post jobs on ZipRecruiter for free by going to ZipRecruiter.com/free trial. That's ZipRecruiter.com. Slash free trial. One more time to try it for free. Go to ZipRecruiter.com/slash free trial.
10: Today, Vice President Mike Pence cast the tie-breaking vote in the Senate that will allow states to defund Planned Parenthood across the country. Now the House passed a resolution last month disproving of the health and human services rule, which in December of last year barred states from defunding Planned Parenthood or other Title uh, 10 recipients for any reason other than the providers, quote, ability to deliver services to program beneficiaries in an effective manner. Which means that you can deny the funding if it turns out that they're not able to actually supply services and that sort of thing. But you can't simply take it down because you don't like what some of their clinics engage in in your state or possibly in other states like abortion services. So uh, the Title X uh, federal grant program enacted, uh, enacted back in 1970 by Richard Nixon subsidizes preventive health care and family planning services for four million low income Americans roughly half of whom are uninsured and thus desperately need that those subsidies. Planned Parenthood serves about a third of those people. Now, in terms of context, 11 states have passed measures to block those funds from Planned Parenthood, despite the fact that Planned Parenthood is an incredibly popular organization. Now, if you bring up this poll, you might remember it from about a week or two ago uh, where Planned Parenthood there has a net plus 68 approval rating, making it the most popular organization in this Fox News poll. The same one that showed Bernie Sanders was the most popular politician in the country. So they are desperately trying to take away this funding, regardless of the damage it will do to extremely low income Americans' abilities to get basic health care services simply because they dislike one of the services that uh clinics like Planned Parenthood uh supply.
11: Okay. So two other things here uh that I that I think are really important to note. First is uh people think uh, Democrats are always weak. No. No. Uh, they say uh progressives are uh, like It's like herding cats, uh, trying to organize them, mm-hmm. get them to, to be effective. No, not remotely true. Back in 1970, progressives were so strong that Richard Nixon uh, was deathly afraid of them. Passed the EPA, passed OSHA, and look at this, the Title uh, 10 here, to make sure he protected poor women. You, is, you think that's because Richard Nixon wanted to do that? No, Richard Nixon definitely did not want to do that. But he was so afraid of progressives and how strong they were. That he cowered to them. That's what happened back when politics was not drowned in money. When they had to actually represent the voters. Yeah. The voters in this country have been deeply progressive for a long, long time on every single issue. But they came in and Richard Nixon, because he was pissed about this stuff, put a couple of conservatives on the Supreme Court. And they decided that putting corporate cash in the politicians' pockets was now legal. And that was well before Citizens United. That's what ruined the whole country. So this is Nixon's revenge on us. Yeah. But back then, we we broke him, okay? So just giving you historical context. Now, today, if fast forward to today, so Mike Pence yesterday was at an event where he was talking about empowering women. So I want you to understand something. Don't let the mainstream media deceive you. Uh, They all, they're pretending like Donald Trump is some sort of monster that, unlike we've never seen before. Mm -hmm. And the Republicans are all good, honorable gentlemen, but they're just, what could they do? Golly gee, there's this monster who's leading them now. No, they're all monsters. Mike Pence is no less a monster. In fact, he works in the dark of night. And, and, do, do you see the mainstream media going after Mike Pence in any way like they are after Donald Trump? Don't get me wrong. I think Trump totally deserves it. But so does Mike Pence. Mm-hmm. Mike Pence has been fighting against civil rights, against gay rights, against women's rights for his entire career. And he went down there, almost every Republican except to Lisa Murkowski and Susan Collins, not uncoincidentally. the same two always. Uh, they're more moderate women uh, Republicans. Every other Republican, including Mike Pence, was like, yes, low-income women who desperately need help with their health care, let's crush them. Yeah. So that's what the Republican Party is about. That's the face of the Republican Party.
10: Yeah. Now, this isn't the end. Donald Trump will sign it. He's been very clear about that. And of course- this now just opens up the way for states uh, to take away these funds. And many of them will enthusiastically do it. And they'll be able to do it in far more states than you might think they should be able to, considering the divide between Democrats and Republicans in this country. Since Republicans have taken over far more state houses than their numbers actually imply they should. But this should be another reminder of the cost of losing elections. Because you actually had a couple of Republicans, as Cenk pointed out, cross over. And so it had to go to a tiebreaker a tiebreaker cast by Mike Pence, who would not have been able to effing vote if Donald Trump hadn't actually won. So now, literally millions of people might lose access to health insurance, might be literally cast out as a result of that. God knows what could happen in terms of births, in terms of uh, treating disease, all of that, because elections matter. And by the way, they did that video,
11: uh, Italian Planned Parenthood, proven to be doctored wrong by every single prosecutor that looked at it. Uh, and now, Two the people who did the secret recordings in California facing 15 felony charges. Nonetheless, the Republicans, because they have no attachment to reality or the truth, are going around saying, well, the Planned Parenthood sells baby parts. It is not true. Your guys are going to jail because they lied about it. And you're still talking about how, so we should defund them anyway, we should defund them anyway.
10: It's not just Donald Trump. The Republican Party owns all those lies. I can't believe that they're still talking about that goddamn video. It's been years since it was debunked. They still talk about Acorn. Reality has no attachment to politics in America. But you know,
11: look—the reason I get so mad at the mainstream media, and every day my anger towards them grows yeah, even more so—is because they pretend like it isn't so. They call it even. They call it even. Like they—well, the Republican Party, other than Donald Trump, are filled with honorable gentlemen who just happen to disagree. No, they did not sell baby parts. That's not a Republicans say this and Democrats say that. That's all the prosecutors in all the different states, including all the Republican prosecutors locked into it. They did not sell baby parts. It's not true. Yet all those Republican senators and congressmen are going around saying it is true and defunding Planned Parenthood. Well, then call them what they are, liars. You're, you are now all of a sudden a little comfortable doing it with Donald Trump. Because he's not among your establishment friends. But when it comes to your establishment buddies in the Republican (gasps) Party, I can't call them liars. Oh, my God, that would be so biased in favor of facts.
10: Mike Pence signed a bill requiring women to have funerals for aborted fetuses. How do you have him on without asking him a question about that? How is he allowed into a forum on empowering women? How did he get through the doors? Now, the mainstream media, they disgust me. Because they give
11: so much credibility to Mike Pence, you notice that every time. Oh Trump! Oh, oh that's crazy oh, But Mike Pence. Because he in. looks more like a regular Republican. Yeah. Oh Mike Pence. He's an establishment guy. No, he's he's bringing stability to the Trump administration, where they do horrific things in the middle of the night with Mike Pence. But shh! Don't talk about it on TV. Don't talk because he, Mike Pence, he's one of us. He's an honorable
1: gentleman. Now, who do you think you are? Telling us what to do when our love thats not your right. Beneath the lies, the mother cries. She said, "Who do you think you are? Still telling us what to do when our hides—that's not your
5: right. Beneath the
1: lies, the mother cries." I just want what's right, we all know what's right.
0: You've reached the activism portion of today's show. Now that you're informed and angry, here's what you can do about it. Today's activism defend reproductive rights at the state level. Despite all the right wing smearing, Planned Parenthood is extremely popular among the American public. In 2015, an NBC News and Wall Street Journal poll revealed the health service provider was more popular than any presidential candidate, President Obama, both political parties, the Supreme Court, and and the NRA. That same poll came out again this week, and surprise surprise, Planned Parenthood is the second most popular out of the list of key politicians and institutions, with 50% responding positively. Only the FBI is more popular. But spitting in the face of that popularity are the Republicans. Earlier this month, without any press or fanfare, Trump signed legislation that rolls back an Obama-era regulation requiring states to pass along family planning grants to organizations who have the ability to provide title 10 services, regardless of whether or not the organization offers abortion services. Now, states can once again block Title X funding to Planned Parenthood and other abortion providers, even though about 3% of Planned Parenthood services are abortion related. To get this through Congress, Republicans once again use the nearly forgotten Congressional Review Act, a law from 1996 that allows lawmakers to, quote, overturn any regulation imposed during the final six months of the previous administration with a simple majority vote in each chamber of Congress. Unquote. But they still needed Mike Pence to break the tie. Pence, of course, said that it was his honor to be the deciding vote. For this reason and many more, the latest activism is focused on what is happening on the state level. Illinois, Pennsylvania, Virginia, Ohio, and Montana are all in the news. So today we're asking that you get involved right now with three of the most prominent and most effective organizations fighting to defend access to safe abortion and other health services so you're ready when the fight comes to your state. The Planned Parenthood Action Fund is the activism arm of Planned Parenthood and is currently focused on the fight for birth control access and defending the attacks on Title X, as well as encouraging supporters to host local events that include activism trainings and rallies. Head over to plannedparenthoodaction.org to get involved and follow them on Twitter at PPAct. The Center for Reproductive Rights is like the ACLU for Reproductive Rights. Operating with the value that reproductive freedom is a fundamental human right that must be protected, their lawyers work in courts to challenge laws that violate or inhibit access to this right in the U.S. and internationally. Visit reproductiverights.org to get involved and follow them on Twitter at ReproRights. And finally, there is All Above All, an organization committed to overturning the Hyde Amendment, which, as you may know, blocks any federal funding. Funding from going to abortion services, leaving low-income individuals with limited or no access. Check out the Be Bold and Hide hashtag on Twitter and follow them at All Above All. To find local actions and get involved, visit allaboveall.org. All of these organizations are working to pass the Each Woman Act and the Women's Health Protection Act. The Each Woman Act ensures a person's decision about abortion is not based on their income or insurance, and the Women's Health Protection Act is designed to protect a woman's choice no matter where she lives. The segment notes include links to all of this information as well as additional resources, and as always, this and every activism Segment we produce is archived and organized under the Activism tab at bestofleft.com. So, if making sure people can make their own healthcare decisions is important to you, then be sure to hit the share buttons to spread the word about defending reproductive rights on the state level via social media so that others in your network can take action too. Activism.
2: Mm -hmm. Activism. Come on out from in front of the television. Bust out of your self imposed media prison. There's a whole big world out there, y'all, and some serious stuff is going down. Civil war intolerance, AIDS obliteration, the usual madness, but not enough frustration about what's troubling Earth's nations. The spotlight will not be your savior in these dark days, and it will not be your saving grace. Why not replace your dreams of gracing life's
7: stage with
3: action? I became pregnant at 14 through incest a cousin who was supposed to be babysitting me thought it would be a better idea to have sex with me. And this was in the 1960s. So I had very, very few options at that time. Abortion was not legal, but you could imagine that that was not my choice for how I would become a mother. So my only option at that time, as I saw it, was to have my baby and give him up for adoption. And that was very common back then, that when girls became pregnant, they would slide us off to some little hidden place. For me, it was a home for unwed mothers. And then we'd have our babies, we'd give them up for adoption, and then we'd return to high school pretending that we'd just been on extended vacations. Except something went interestingly wrong. The day after my son was born the nurses made what I always assumed was a mistake, and they bought me my son, and I looked down and I saw his face, and he had my face. I kept saying, he's got my face, he's got my face, oh, he's got my face. And I found that I couldn't go through with the adoption. And so all the plans I made about going back to school and pretending that I could put all of this behind me and all of that just suddenly went out the window when in that morning in that hospital I made a decision to parent the child of my rapist. So for 45 years I've been tethered to my rapist which is a very interesting way to parent to say the least. And my son has had to deal with the fact that his father is by no means perfect, was a pedophile. He also is dead now, but he was a pedophile. My son had to deal with that. So we've had a very complicated story. But I really don't regret keeping my son because a few years later I was sterilized by a a doctor who felt that I'd already had a kid, so It turns out that the child I had was my only chance to become a parent. So my when and where I enter story is that I entered this movement being pissed off by not having choices. Because no young girl should be sexually abused by a relative. And once that happens, I should still have choices over whether or not I choose to have a baby And that I should still have choices if I want to have further children. All of those choices were denied to me before I was even 19 years old. And so I took the rage. I internalized it for a long time. I probably am still internalizing it. You know, I've been in therapy for I don't know how long. So I was very lucky that when I went off to college, I went off to college in Washington, D.C., and in 1972, the very first rape crisis center in this country was founded, the D.C. Rape Crisis Center. And a girlfriend of mine who was in the Black Panther Party, Nakenji Teray, convinced me to go over to the rape crisis center as a volunteer. And I told Nakenji, I don't want to go over there. I don't want to work with those white women. And the Kenji went, sister, you think a panther would lead you wrong? I was totally intimidated. (laughs) I mean, this woman broke down weapons and, you know, she was part of the Black Liberation Army. I was trying to figure out what oppression was. (laughs) You know? So thanks to the Kenji, I ended up over at the D.C. Rape Crisis Center. They taught me that what had happened to me had happened to thousands of other poor black women across the country, that I wasn't alone, that it was possible to recover from the drama and trauma of my life. They taught me what feminism was. And I've been a professional feminist ever since. So this is my when and where I enter story. And The whole process of claiming ownership, not only of your body, but claiming the necessary social and economic conditions to make sense of your life. Because ownership of your body is not enough. Yes, so you're not, quote, enslaved, but you can be enslaved by circumstances, you can be enslaved by a disabling environment. You can be enslaved by not having enough money to pay for your health care or your rent. So we have to talk about what does ownership of our body really mean and what are the necessary enabling conditions we need in order to truly say that it's ours. Since 1997, I've been involved with a group of women of color called Sister Song. One of the things that Sister Song has pioneered is the concept of reproductive justice. Reproductive justice was actually invented by a group of black women in 1994. And I was fortunate enough to have been a part of those black women. Where we were in a hotel room in Chicago, just having returned from the International Conference on Population and Development in Cairo, Egypt. And what we found was that feminists from around the world were using the human rights framework to lay claim to a much more expansive set of rights than we were doing in the United States only using the privacy framework and the U.S. Constitution. That slaveholder document called the U.S. Constitution has never worked for including us actually, it's never worked for including anybody but property-owning white men. What we found when we got back from Cairo was that we were very dissatisfied with the isolation of abortion rights from social justice issues, from human rights issues. And this was done often inadvertently by the pro-choice movement, So much so that nowadays the majority of the American public doesn't even see abortion as medical care. They separate it. Like, abortion shouldn't be part of health care reform. And we're like, well, hell, you don't go to an auto mechanic to have one. You go to a medical practitioner. And we actually offered a critique of both the pro-choice and the pro-life movement. Because they don't really either understand how women actually live our lives. Meaning that every time a woman thinks she is pregnant, she doesn't even have to actually be pregnant. She just has to think she's pregnant. Like you missed your period and you go, oh, my God. Oh, my God, I'm late. Oh, my God, what am I going to tell my mother? Oh, my God, what am I going to tell my partner? Oh, my God. Can I stay in school? Will I get fired from my job if I decide to keep this? Oh, my God. I mean, this is the real conversations that go on in women's heads. When that period is just a little bit late and you know you've been sexually active and you're like, oh, the answers to those oh, my God conversations are going to determine whether she's ready to become a parent or not. If she doesn't have health care, if she's worried about getting battered by her partner, she may not be ready to become a parent. And so neither the pro-choice nor the pro-life side pays attention to the conditions in a woman's life before she becomes pregnant. They only take up the cause once she is pregnant. One trying to say we're giving her choices. And the other saying, we're trying to take away her choices so that she has the baby. But if you don't pay attention to those oh my God considerations, you're not giving her choices that make sense. Because it's not a choice to continue a pregnancy if you fear violence, if you fear eviction, if you fear expulsion from school or loss of your job. That's not a choice. Isolating abortion from women's lived experiences, in our opinion, does not serve women well. And so once we discovered that the international movement was using the human rights framework, we came up with the concept of reproductive justice. And reproductive justice is basically the right to have a child, the right not to have a child, and the right to parent the children that you have, in safe and healthy environments. Now, we say the right to have a child because we are from communities of color who are always subjected to strategies of population control, where our right to be mothers is often deeply contested. But we also join with the pro-choice movement in fighting for the right to abortion, to birth control, to sex education, To abstinence if you can hold on (laughs) so reproductive justice is not a way to avoid saying abortion it just goes beyond abortion and then we have to fight for the right to parent our children in safe and healthy environment the right for incarcerated women to parent the right for people who are disabled to express their parenting right, trans people to become parents. All of these rights to parent are ways that we have to fight for not only the expression of our desires, but to do so in safe and healthy environments. So that means that we have to fight against gun violence as part of the right to parent, fight against environmental toxins as part of the right to parent, fight against the school-to-prison pipeline, You know, fight against all these things that jeopardize our children and our right to parent because we take a much more holistic approach to what control over your body means because it's not just about your body, but it's about the enabling conditions that are necessary for you to have choices that make sense.
0: We just heard clips today, starting with Dan Savage explaining why abortion rates are as low as they were before 1973. On the Media broke down the story behind the Mexico City policy. The David Backman Show explained why reinstating the Mexico City policy is likely to increase abortions. Propaganda from Bitch Media did an in-depth report from Chile to see what it's like in a society where abortion is actually illegal. The Young Turks discussed the passing of the bill that will allow states to defund Planned Parenthood locally. Our activism for Today is in support of the organizations who will be launching state-by-state campaigns to defend Planned Parenthood whenever it comes under attack. And finally, we just heard Making Contact feature a speech by Loretta Ross about moving beyond choice to reproductive justice. You can find links to each of these segments in the show notes for easy reference and sharing. And now, we'll hear from you.
9: Hey Jay, it's Alan, your member from Connecticut, calling in uh, with just a quick Piece about your latest uh, reference and generosity uh, with regards to people who are terminally ill, and why don't they just go around, you know, wreaking havoc because they've got nothing to lose? And th- that's not true. And that there's there's really a, a middle piece to that. Now, it's the obvious thing, but I'm going to state it anyway: is that people are much more likely to be generous and good-natured to people they know, and much more likely to be. A jerk or a dick To um, people they don't know And that expands into businesses as well Especially employees of businesses Are much more likely to steal from a company Or a corporation or an insurance company Because there's no human behind it It's not like uh, There's a president or an owner of a company Especially that things are bigger So it's like, well, screw the insurance company Let me file this claim Even though it's not a real big deal But I, I deserve something from that And so let me Let me orchestrate this with another little example I bought something on eBay a projector um, and when it arrived it arrived damaged and was not the format that was described and so I um, emailed the seller and said you know it was damaged and it was supposed to be in this format um, and it wasn't and he's like well send it back and I'll give you a full refund note that I'm I'm paying for shipping both ways and this is not something cheap and he said he does have something else that if I was interested in. So I start going back and forth, and I was explaining that I wanted this to be able to watch my home movies and try to figure out what to give to my brother, what to put the DVD. And all of a sudden, he's like, look, keep it. I'm going to mail you one that will work for what, you, what you're trying to do, and uh, and don't worry about it. Now, I didn't ask for that or anything else, but it, it drives the point that that as human beings, when we start relating to one another, and we have a human understanding of who each other is, we develop that sympathetic relationship, which is what governs, I think, a lot of what is being said here in the in the Buddhist tradition of people are inherently good. And I do believe that. And I think, um, although this is much more long-winded, people are much more likely to be a jerk to somebody they don't know because you haven't developed that relationship and rapport as opposed to someone that, that you can put a face in a relationship with. Anyway, that's it. Long-winded. Thank you. Stay awesome.
0: Thanks for listening, everyone. Thanks to the volunteers who helped gather clips to make this show possible. Thanks to Amanda Hoffman for all of her work on our social media outlets and activism segments. And thanks to all those who called into the voicemail line. If you'd like to leave a comment, question, or explanation of something so we all understand it better, simply record a message at 202-999-3991. And now I want to tell you about an article that very coincidentally was sent to me by Alan from Connecticut, who we just heard from. It's, it's one of the most insightful and clarifying articles I have read that explains or attempts to explain one facet of the Trump phenomenon, and and more, more importantly, the phenomenon of people continuing to support him since the election or, or since he came on the scene. Uh, so this is called how the science of blue lies may explain Trump's support. As I said, it's from the Scientific American blog. And the beginning of the article uh, lays out, you know, an explanation of the, the types of lies we're already familiar with, white lies, which it describes as lies that are told to bring people together, to not hurt feelings, to you know maintain good relationships, that sort of thing. And then they refer to the other kind of lies like a black lie where you're lying in order to be mean on purpose you know and they describe that as a lie that drives people apart and we all have you know very clear understandings of those things but blue lies are this other category of lie that actually i would i would argue we all understand but it's it's unlikely i mean at least was the case for me that you might not have a word for it and and naming it and having it explained sort of helps things crystallize. So a blue lie is the way they describe it is a lie that both brings people together and drives them apart. And some of the examples they give is like when a spy agency lies to a foreign power. So you would, you would recognize, Hey, like the CIA is lying to some enemy country abroad well, that's a lie that is bad for the other country and you could argue that's, you know, driving people apart, but we see that as a good thing. We see spy agencies and the work they do as heroic, and so they're lying on our behalf. And so in that way, they're bringing people together. It, it, they're lying on behalf of our in-group while lying to fight against the out-group, and that in a nutshell is what a blue lie is. I'm not sure if they made up the term blue lie or if if that's something that's been around that I just hadn't heard of. So here are just a few passages that uh, take that concept of blue lies and apply it to Trump. So it says, if we see Trump's lies not as failures of character, but rather as weapons of war, then we can come to see why his supporters might see him as an effective leader. From this perspective, lying is a feature, not a bug, of Trump's campaign and presidency. The research to date suggests that they see those lies as useful weapons in a tribal us-against-them competition that pits the quote-unquote real Americans against those who would destroy it. It's in Blue Lies that the best and worst of humanity can come together. They reveal our loyalty, our ability to cooperate, our capacity to care about the people around us, and to trust them. At the same time, Blue Lies display our predisposition to hate and dehumanize outsiders and our tendency to delude ourselves. So it's a fascinating concept. I'm glad uh, Alan sent me this article. I I think there's a really good debate to be had as to what's having more of an effect because confirmation bias and the backfire effect are gigantic factors in why people decide to believe Trump's lies rather than look for the facts that disprove them. But this is a really good way of sort of analyzing The most hardcore Trump supporters, those who fundamentally don't care whether he's lying or not. And and I think that that's a minority of his supporters. I think that there are a lot of conservatives out there who they believe the lies because they don't know that there is countervailing evidence and and they just sort of they're they're in their media bubble, whichever particular bubble that happens to be. and, And they they care about the facts and they think they have those facts. But then there's that, uh, that subsection who want the outcomes they want regardless of the facts. They want to purge the country of brown people. They want to make women second-class citizens. And you can keep going down the list. Those are the people who fundamentally don't care whether he's lying or not because, as the article describes, he's lying on their behalf. He's lying for them against the outgroup, against the un-American left who want to destroy everything they believe in. So it's always nice to add another scientific psychological concept to my quiver of you know understanding for how and why people do what they do and think what they think. Hopefully you find that interesting as well. That's going to be it for today. As always, keep the comments coming in, 202-999-3991. Thanks to everyone for listening. Thanks to those who support the show by becoming a member or making one-time donations, as that is absolutely how the program survives. Of course, everyone can support the show just by telling everyone you know about it and leaving glowing reviews on iTunes and Stitcher. Help us in our mission to aggregate and amplify the best progressive media by joining up with us on Facebook and Twitter and sharing all of the great content we're putting out there. And for details on the show itself, including links to all of the sources and music used in this and every episode, all that information can always be found in the show notes on the blog. So coming to you from inside the Beltway, yet outside the conventional wisdom of Washington, D.C., my name is Jay and this has been the Best of the Left podcast coming to you every Tuesday and Friday, thanks entirely to the members and donors to the show from bestoftheleft.com And it's a and shame How
8: we get so trained we can't see
10: past our sad stories and wonder what we're missing. We can't see past our sad
1: stories and forget how to listen. We can't see past.